Welcome to the Nate Watson Podcast, Episode 8, Todd Fox. I'm sitting here today with Todd Fox, who is the founder and owner of Close Protection Group. He is a former U.S. Marine and was assigned duties that spanned the corpse's uh, corpus broad garment, ranging from uh, washing dishes to operating with JTF-6. Uh, his access to B-billets offered insight into unique realms outside the military. Mr. Fox is also a former law enforcement officer. He was responsible for the creation, development, and training of a, hum- of a regional law enforcement special response team. His team participated in the protection of humans and assets during several pivotal national events. He is a graduate of multiple advanced programs in the Counterterrorism Division of the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Mr. Fox has been a lifelong martial artist. He holds three black belts in unique different uh, martial arts. Uh, while in the Marine Corps, he fought in the mixed martial arts or MMA and retired with a professional record of 10 wins and two losses. Mr. Fox is a black belt and U.S. and U.S. national champion. I'm sorry, I, I screwed up. I'm trying to read right off a uh, page. Mr. Fox is a black belt, uh, U.S. national champion, U.S. Open champion, and Pan American medalist in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And also uh, on the side, he's also your current rank is fourth degree, correct? Uh, I have a couple of black belts, so yeah, I've got, I've got two fourth degrees and a third mm-hmm. degree. So uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, this is the year for me to pick up fourth. So I'll be three fourth degree black belts at the end of this year. Wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. And uh, as continue with the bio, uh, Mr. Fox continues to actively train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai. Or uh, Mr. Fox has authored three books on protective services operations and numerous articles as a protective Sur- security subject matter expert or SME. I, Todd, thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking to me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. So that's quite a background, man. That is like, when when did you, uh, so you grew up in St. Louis? I did. Where you're from? Yeah. 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 And, and when did you go into the Marine Corps at 18? Yeah, straight out of high school into the Marines. Wow. Wow. And how it, do you, uh, what was your, what was the biggest thing you got out of the Marine Corps overall? What do you feel like was your biggest mm, asset from that? Uh, Marine Corps uh an indoctrination, I think a, a pretty positive indoctrination for young guys, but, uh, you know, being able to get up early, go to work, work hard, not have access to many things, um, push through obstacles, um, you know, deal with some type of stress on a regular basis. Um, there are a lot of lessons learned, but, but less than ideal circumstances and a lot of hardships and, uh, and still achieving whatever your objective or mission was that that's probably the best exposure that, that I had in the Marine Corps. And do you feel like, I mean, it's obvious from your background, but do you feel like you continue every day to, to, to use those skills? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. I think it, it, you know, again, I, I call it an indoctrination. I mean that in mm-hmm. a positive way. Yeah. Um, it, it's part of who you are and part of how you assess yourself and your actions mm-hmm. and your behaviors and things like mm-hmm. that. So, um, you know, it, it, if you have a little bit of drive in you, it'll certainly lead you in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. I'm never fulfilled in a way where I think like, okay, this is good enough. I'm going to rest mm. on my laurel. So it's mm. okay. I need one martial or two martial arts or three mm. or one book mm. or two book or mm. three books, mm. whatever it may be. So, um, you know, it takes guys and it, it shows them a way, a path. It shows them how to, to deal with certain things. And, um, uh, I carry that with me. I think it is one of the best things I ever did in my life. Yeah. It's actually one of the, that's one of the things in the military is one of the things that was my biggest, how do I say it? Not a failure, but a, the biggest like thing that happened to me that I, that, that bothers me the most. I, when I was 18, I was going to go into the army and I was going to try to do uh special ops and, and Rangers and everything was going great. I went and took the test, 
at in, in Oakland at MEPS and I was open to take to do any job I wanted to do. And I was going through the medical and everything. And when I was a kid, I had asthma. And so I still remember the doctor's name, Dr. Cook, this guy. He made a big issue about the asthma. And I went back to my pediatrician who treated me for it, who checked me out, says, you don't have asthma anymore, wrote me a letter, the whole thing. Dr. Cook still didn't accept it, wanted to give me mm -hmm. asthma due shots, all this stuff. Basically, long story short, they, they forced me. They, they, they made me in, uh, in, 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 what do you call it? Um, well, normally at MEPS, they, they will just cancel your contract. They're yeah, really yeah, basically, they really yeah. can't do much else. Yeah, yeah. So I basically, I couldn't go in. And and I was, I was pretty, it was pretty... Uh, devastating for me if I, you know, I really wanted to do that. Had I done it, I would have stayed in for, I was planning on doing like as a full-time career. I mean, who knows? I probably, I think I would have saw like three conflicts if I'd survived them. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. way the rotations yeah. are working now, guys, I can only speak to the Marine Corps, the guys mm. are doing, you know, a seven month deployment overseas mm. in a combat mm. zone. They come home mm. for three months uh, in mm. that three months, they might be off for a month and do mm. a month or two of a workup pre-deployment yeah. workup and then yeah. they're gone again so in a, in a four-year tour you know they might have uh three deployments or four deployments so it's mm. it's uh less than ideal if you want to have a family or if you want right. to do something other than be in the military full-time right yeah but i mean there was like there was a storm and the current one it would have been a lot yeah. but yeah. but but who knows i mean i can't i can't regret something i never did but it was something i always wanted that i did want to do earlier in my life and i was like man i wish i could have done that um but we have we have something else in common, which is law enforcement. You went into law enforcement after the Marine Corps. I did. So was yeah. it so was directly after? Yeah, I had a little yeah. bit of time as a security contractor, and then mm -hmm. uh, had a job essentially that required me to have uh, a, a law enforcement background, and mm -hmm. in particular, it required a post A license, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, to pass a, a probationary period on a specific agency and have certain mm -hmm. quals and things like that, and uh, mm -hmm. and so I had to do that in order to get the next contract, which was a, mm -hmm. a great thing because I learned a ton that I, I didn't know as a private citizen. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. And where were you placed officer at? I was in St. Louis. St. Louis. Awesome. Yeah. How how much did you do that for? Uh, well, I, I still carry a commission, but I carry mm, a reserve nice. commission with a, a St. Louis mm. County agency. Mm. But mm. Uh, yeah, I would have, you know, 15 years in, in total if you counted, you know, reserve time. But um, in wow. reality, you know, I had a limited amount of time going through a state academy, going through, mm. you know, a mm. local probie process, going through mm. a couple special unit uh, stand-ups. And, mm. and uh, we had a few pivotal events here in in our area, uh, mm -hmm. national events, we mm -hmm. dealt with those. And then, uh, I went back to work on the security side and mm -hmm. here I am. Yeah. Yeah. I did, um, like all together security wise, I worked in security for 19 years. Um, and I, I left as a corporate trainer for a large company in the area where I live, but I, I did go through the basic police Academy, um, in my twenties and I worked for, um, a local agency here as a reserve for five years. Um, so I, uh, I did that probably 30 hours a week on top of my regular job. So I did quite a bit. I was out, I was out working quite a bit on, um, so yeah. And I, I, I do miss that sometimes. Sometimes I don't, um, especially in the current climate, but, um, yeah, no, I, actually, I, would, I would say there's, there's, there's a good time to not be in law enforcement. That's right now. Yeah. I, I actually, yeah. I still know people that I worked with or worked for other agencies that I knew from back in that time. And they're like, I can't wait to retire. I just want to get yeah, out. Rough right. job. Yeah. 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 Um, so how did you get started in martial arts? How did that happen? 
Um, it's a good question. I, I was interested in martial arts since I was a kid and always wanted mm. to do it. And, mm. uh, when I was in high school, I finally got access to it through a guy that I had trained, uh, mm. basically wrestled with in high school and, mm. uh, his dad did judo and then it led us to karate. And then I met a, a guy who was a Marine and a cop and all this stuff mm. who taught mm. karate and Japanese jiu-jitsu. Mm. And, um, basically I stayed with him and, and got belts through him and the academy that he was associated with. And then, mm. While I was in the Marine Corps, I was on recruiting duty, which is a B-billet, a secondary job. And mm -hmm. um, next to my recruiting office, this Brazilian jiu-jitsu school opened up and no one knew what it was because this is the mid-90s and right. no one had any idea. And my my coach at the time was a very good coach. He said, you know what? You should go over there and see what that's about because I've seen Hoist Gracie fight in the UFC mm -hmm. and it's pretty impressive. So, you know, you've learned most of what I have to teach you. Go over mm -hmm. there and check it out. And if it's good stuff, bring it back to us. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, sure as shit, that's exactly what happened. And uh, that was that was it. I mean, I guess after after jujitsu, the only other thing I've dabbled in is is Muay Thai. But I think right. that's a great compliment, and it's very similar right. to what we were doing with with like Kyokushin style karate. Yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you too, because when when you said bare knuckle karate, I wanted to ask yeah. you Kyokushin. Kyokushin is something else. I did uh, I did Shotokan and Shirinji for about nine years, and and I did some Japanese jujitsu too for for several years. What type of Japanese jujitsu did you? A uh, small circle jujitsu. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's kind yeah. Of, yeah I, I, you know, what's interesting about that, and I just had this discussion um, yesterday with a friend, mm -hmm. is that when I came to jujitsu, my my coach is a great guy who's, who's mm -hmm. a, a stud of a man and and mm -hmm. uh, a great competitor and everything else, even in, in his current age. Mm -hmm. um, he was like, you 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 don't want to do that stuff. That's not going to work. A wrist lock's gonna, mm -hmm. not going to work. A uh, foot lock and knee bars, those things are for weak people that can't actually do jujitsu. Uh, you know, we laugh about that today because obviously, you know, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you see tons of wrist lock, you see tons of, of foot locks and heel hooks and knee bars and, and all that kind of stuff that we were doing, you know, from back in the day. In fact, I was talking, you mentioned the Limitless guys, I was talking to them about yeah. it and, and uh, you know, you have these books and let me right. So you can see it because there's a reflection, but you know, you have these books back from the 1800s and 1900s that were literally doing these things right yep. so yep. you know we think brazilian jiu-jitsu you know was the inception of this and and in fact it's not uh mm -hmm. you know this stuff's been around forever since the yep. beginning of time so yep. uh you know when you you do those studies here's another interesting one mm -hmm. this is a hundred year old uh american jiu-jitsu yep. a little uh <laughs> kind of silly looking but um you know you you get a little bit of the history right of, of of jujitsu and martial arts and all that stuff. And, and we keep thinking that we're on the cutting edge and we're finding something that's never existed before. And, and that's just not the case, you know? Right. Well, it's just, uh, my little partner, Joey, my boxer decides he has to go out every time I do an interview. <laughs> um, so this guy's something else. So, um, no, I was going to say that too. Like I was having a discussion. I think it was yesterday after open mat, we were talking, I was talking to one of my buddies in, in jujitsu and, we're talking about how this stuff happens and, you know, you can go back to look at like uh, Greek wrestling, like, like, you know, mm -hmm. centuries ago and they're showing like heel hooks and stuff and things that we do. And people are like, oh, this is all this. What we do now. No, it's not. It's been, there's only so many ways you can twist up the human body and, and, and exactly it. right. Exactly and, right. It's yeah. just, you know, things that, that resonate with certain people, you know, and I, mm -hmm. and I saw this, for example, in, in the early days of martial arts before I did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, mm -hmm. where guys that were tall would do certain techniques and guys that were short would do other guys that were thin would do one thing, guys that were thick would do another mm -hmm. guys who were aggressive mm -hmm. would do one thing, guys who mm -hmm. were passive would do another. And so, you know, maybe a, a system has everything in it. 
And then when that guy leaves and starts his own school or starts teaching his own students, he teaches his system, his way, and that omits something. And there's only so many hours in a day, so you can only learn so much stuff. And most people don't last 50 years of training, especially in, in harder arts. So, uh, you know, inevitably there are going to be things missing, things that are going to go away. And, um, and, and for obviously the Brazilian jiu-jitsu side, a ton of that was gone in the front end and now all that stuff's coming back. Guys are repackaging it, marketing it, putting their name on it, but they didn't find it. You know, they might have just learned it. They might have just come to, oh, shit, this thing works this way. But in reality, that's been around forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even like the, I mean, I'm sure with your background, which I want really want to get into with your jiu-jitsu, but your BJJ background, I'm sure you've experienced the Gracie self-defense techniques. And and a lot of that stuff, too, is like old jiu-jitsu. It's just it's the same stuff I did it's, when I did it, Japanese jiu-jitsu. Yeah. It's the same as Japanese jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so my yeah. teacher didn't, um, Rodrigo Vaghi, he mm. didn't teach me. He's one of Hickson's six-degree black belts. Mm. He didn't teach me uh, the self-defense system for the Gracie mm. jiu-jitsu mm. for whatever reason. He he focused on MMA and, and no gi and gi jiu-jitsu. But um, when I trained with Hickson in LA mm. and when I trained mm. with Hoyler in San Diego, mm. those guys both spent time on the self-defense. And mm. what mm. I found is that it's extremely extremely similar to the self-defense systems of, of Japanese jiu-jitsu, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Minor differences, and, and that probably just a, a style thing, but uh, almost almost to the T the same. Yeah, yeah, that was my my experience. Like, I uh, I looked through, I bought a book years ago. It was just the basic Gracie jiu-jitsu manual, like the different belt levels and all the requirements. And I was going through, and I'm like, I know that, I know that, I know that. I did it all from the, all the Japanese units who I did. So I was like, okay, I think I still understand those concepts. So it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a big thing to me. The thing that got me was the live training. That when I, yes. when I came into BJJ, yeah. you know, I had a four three black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu, but I got my my lunch handed to me by white belts, you know. And same same experience. Yeah, yeah. that's the that's that's always been that's my thing. Like after doing BJJ, is like I'm like. You have to have a live component or it's just, it's, it's not useful. It won't, it won't jive in real yeah. world. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's very, very true. You know, I got, I got toyed with by a 150 pound white belt who was like 17 years old. And, mm-hmm. and, and I had been in all kinds of confrontations all over the world and, and seen extreme violence and this kid just played with me. So mm-hmm. that was a selling point. Um, but, you know, there are also components of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that in hindsight, um, you know, were lacking heavily at the time. Mm-hmm. And we had to go get those things from other places, right? So, uh, you know, we were, and I can't speak to every school, but this was, mm-hmm. you know, almost 30 years ago, we were training on our knees. And mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. well, fights don't start with you on your knees. So that doesn't right. work. That that occurred because, the, you know, at, at the Gracie Academy in Brazil, in Umaita, they they didn't have a lot of mat space and they needed to have that space. So mm-hmm. guys standing up, take up a lot more space as you move around. Whereas when right. you're on your knees, you're limited in movement. So you can operate with more people in a smaller space. And then that just happened to carry on. But, um, I, I think schools, uh, by and large are getting away from this, especially if they're involved in MMA or, or, you know, gi competition, no gi competition where they're starting mm-hmm. off their feet. But a, a lot of things have changed in jujitsu. A lot's been incorporated. I mean, in my time in jujitsu, you know, YouTube didn't exist when I started, right. uh, you know, the internet was barely there and, and, you know, there were message boards, so you really couldn't find out a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. 
um, when I started at, you know, in, at least in our circles on the Hickson mm-hmm. side, you mm-hmm. couldn't train at other schools. You weren't permitted to go to another school. And if they found yeah. out you did, you know, you'd be called a crayonch and mm-hmm. then you'd be, you'd be kicked out of the school. So <laughs> right. a lot of changes in the last 30 years with respect to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I, I think you were talking about that with uh, Chewy and Eugene when they were talking about the Crianche thing and, and how you were able to, well, like you, that's how you met H- uh, uh, Henzo, was being able to train in New York. You asked for yeah. permission. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that and that's, you know, that benefits everybody. That benefits mm. me. That benefits my team. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have a really strong relationship with a lot mm-hmm. of guys that I haven't seen in a while and I can mm-hmm. call Henzo on the phone and, Hey, Henzo, mm-hmm. I need this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, cool, I got you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. It, it mm-hmm. forges those relationships and you get to see what works and doesn't work. And I think it's similar to going to tournaments and competing. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the guys in your gym, you know, how mm-hmm. they operate, mm-hmm. you know what they do. They know what you do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you don't get a natural outcome, right? You mm-hmm. get this thing, like I'm dealing with this style. He's dealing with my style. We both know it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's different. You go to a tournament and you got nerves and you don't know that guy's style. He doesn't know mm-hmm. yours and mm-hmm. you, you see what happens. And that's a little bit more organic. Same yeah. thing happens when you go to a new school and people don't know you and you don't know them. You got to manage nerves and you got to deal with what they present and try and mm-hmm. impose your will on them. And it, it's just a different environment. I think there's a lot of growth that comes out of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I like going to, um, we have, we have a, a group out here called coffee crew and okay. they basically do open mats like every weekend where it's like you can come from any school. There's no, they call it no dojo, no dojo tripping, which is I think really cool. You know, we don't care about where you come from or whatever, just get together and roll. But what's, but what's cool about it is it's like, it's like uh, you get to have like a little mini tournament of sorts. It's not the same intensity of a tournament, but it's, you're still rolling with people you don't know and mm-hmm. different sizes, different bodies, different ranks, everything, you know, it could be gi, no gi, whatever, but you get to sort of test yourself out to say, okay, how am I doing against people that I don't normally roll with? Um, nine times out of 10, it's usually a good experience for me, but you know, but I have had the other side too, but you know, it's, but if if you're a human, you're going to have that other side. If you, if you go with good guys, you're going to have that other side, no matter who you are. It doesn't matter, you know, Mm -hmm. what your history is, what belts you have, what titles Mm -hmm. you have it. it, You're going to find somebody who's got your number and the styles Mm -hmm. match up in a certain way. And it's not Mm -hmm. beneficial to you. That's, that's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one one thing we have in common, actually, in a sense, is like where I train, where I've trained for the last uh, couple of years uh, at, in here in Campbell at Brazilian at uh, Samurai Jiu Jitsu. The head instructor is Richard Jackson. He trained with Enzo and John Danaher for like I think a decade mm-hmm. in the Blue Basement in Manhattan before he moved out here. So we have that connection a little bit. Um, but one thing I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about was your because it's a really cool story and I wanted to capture it again was your, uh, interaction with, with Kung Fu Joe. <laughs> that story never yeah. dies. It's, it's oh, interesting no. how it's many awesome. people took to that and uh, yeah. how many people went to YouTube to find that. Uh, I went last night. Video. Yeah. Yeah. I found it last yeah. night. I checked it out. Yeah. So Kung Fu Joe, it's, it's, uh, I'll give you a reader's digest version because it's a long story, but basically mm-hmm. I'm out on a music tour with a client and, um, the client does martial arts. The client does mm-hmm. Kung Fu. I don't know what, what style Kung Fu it is. Mm-hmm. He brings out his instructor on the road, on the tour with us. And we're out in New Jersey in a, in a place called PNC Arena in Homedale. And, um, you know, it's, it's you know, the evening uh, and this guy comes out and we're outside of the tour buses and they're doing something. And the, the artist says, hey, come here, Todd. I want you to meet Joe. Joe's my Kung Fu instructor. Hey, Todd does martial arts too. And 
we're having a conversation and he says, so, so what do you do? And I'm like, well, mostly Brazilian jiu-jitsu now, you know, but I've done karate and this and that, whatever. And he goes, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? What does, what does that mean? Like, like scoffing at it and uh-huh. uh, like, well, you know, what we do is kind of like university level and what you do is kind of like kindergarten level. I'm like, it's, it's a wow. interesting way for somebody you don't know to pose that because normally, right. even if you don't respect what they do, you're courteous and, and you mm-hmm. know, there's a connection, which is my client. Right. So he kind of came that way. I'm like, Hmm, that's pretty sideways. So I said, well, oh, you think that's true? Yeah. So, well, you know, the only way to find out is to test it, you know, so maybe we can do some training together and find out if, if that's true. He goes, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think he didn't <laughs> believe that what I was saying, I meant we were going to train. Right, I meant right. We do it. So right. he's like, yeah, yeah, tomorrow. We'll, we'll do it tomorrow. Uh, and we were still in Jersey. And mm-hmm. uh, basically, I called Henzo and said, hey, man, I got this guy, Kung Fu guy. He's saying crazy shit. And he said, I'd really love to utilize the school. And uh, I'm, this is where I'm at. I'm in Homedale. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. Hollis, Hollis just opened up a new school there. Um, mm-hmm. I'll come and pick you up. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'm, let me get this guy up because it was the morning and, uh, and get some stuff together. And you meet, okay, I'll meet you in, you know, two hours or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And he, he gets in a car and, uh, you know, he's got this nice brand new Range Rover and he shows up. And I don't know if you know Hollis or not, but he's huge. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a huge man. He's like six, four and, you know, two sixty five. And, and him and, and Henzo jump out of the car. Like, okay, mm-hmm. you guys ready to go? And, uh, me, Joe, my client and this friend of Joe's jump in with those guys, go to the school. And long story short, I'm, I'm giving Joe like some Vaseline. He's like, what's mm-hmm. this for? Which mm-hmm. when he says that, and we're about to spar, mm-hmm. I realize he's never really been any kind of striking because if mm-hmm. he had done, mm-hmm. if he had done boxing or MMA, or he had done anything at all, even bare knuckle karate, he would know that, you know, that's to keep his skin from tearing. Right. right. And, uh, so he's like. Okay. It kind of just, it clicked at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, same with when Henzo showed up, he, like his eyes mm-hmm. got big because he was mm-hmm. smart enough to know what the UFC was and who Henzo was just not smart enough to know that jujitsu is not a joke. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in long story short, his friend, his buddy captured this on video. Um, and, and then they ended up giving it to me. So it's, it's mm-hmm. on YouTube. Uh, it's like Kung Fu versus jujitsu, but mm-hmm. basically Henzo gives me, um, limitations, but not Joe. Mm-hmm. So you can't do You, you got to use the voice. You got to use the voice. Yeah. You got to do the impression. <laughs> <laughs> okay, buddy. Can't punch to his face, buddy. Can't punch to his face. Use an open hand, okay? And uh, gonna be, but you know, take it easy because this guy, man, he, he can't do shit, buddy. So he's he's telling me the rules and then, you know, we have this little light exchange and he taps, another light exchange and he taps. Mm-hmm. What's not on video is I actually kicked him in the ribs and cracked his ribs the first nice. time. So you can see when I start getting side control and pulling mm-hmm. my elbow into his ribs and pushing mm-hmm. my ribs into his, mm-hmm. that he's tapping very fast. It's because he's, he's hurt. But right. um, then Henzo's like, okay, you know, buddy, don't hit. And Joe's like, oh, that's my art. I got to hit. And he's like, <laughs> not, not talking to you, bud. Talk to Todd. And then, uh, so then we went back and he could punch and kick and, and all I could do is like takedowns and joint locks and stuff like that. So you, you get to see it. Um, mm-hmm. 
on YouTube because they put out there, but it, right. it was dumbed down a bit because Henzo wanted to to give me some rules because you know he felt that uh, that Joe wasn't maybe as good or t- as tough as uh, he thought he was. Right. Um, so, but that's very very Henzo in that you know he comes and picks us up and brings us to the school and gives us a place and is not worried about the the lawsuit side of things, but at the same mm-hmm. time is also taking care of this guy who's an idiot. Right. And at the end of it, you know this this guy got tooled up, and at the end the guy's like to Henzo you know, maybe I can introduce you to my master. He's really good. He can show you. And I was like, yeah, buddy, bring your master here. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I man. wish, I wish that would happen and have that one on video. That would be quite, quite a thing to behold. Yeah. I mean, there've been a couple of great videos of Henzo, you know, in street altercations oh, and stuff. He's Henzo's Henzo's amazing because he's, he's a really good guy. He's a solid mm-hmm. human. He's, he's mm-hmm. really funny. He's always mm-hmm. talking shit always laugh and treating people with a lot of respect. But then when it's time to go, he's ready. He's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really enjoy there's that uh, documentary on YouTube. You can watch for free. I mean, I I watched that thing a million times. Just, I just really enjoy watching like the old, the older uh, uh, like documentaries and, and decades of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like it was coming up, like with Hickson and and Henzo and all those guys. It's just really interesting to me. Uh, and you know, going into that, uh, you had the chance to train. You already mentioned one, but you had the chance to train with two guys that I really think are, are to me, like like jujitsu icons or idols or people I would you know look up to. And one of them is Hicks and Gracie, mm-hmm. and the other one is Henry Akins. And um, yeah. yeah, Henry is he's very impressive to me. And the whole uh, thing about uh, what is it, um, invisible jujitsu and the concepts mm-hmm. like. You know, seeing how even like Hickson, like like watching him try to explain a, a concept to somebody where you're looking at it and you think it's one thing, but to feel it, which I haven't had a chance to yet, unfortunately. I, I really I, I would love to train with him sometime. Yeah. But, so I, I think the um Hickson's is uh marketed as invisible jujitsu and right. Henry's is marketed as hidden jujitsu, but mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. same concept, which is mm-hmm. there are things going on forces that that you're not seeing from the outside but you can feel exactly what you noted and right and uh rodrigo vaghi sent me to train when i moved to la with hickson and then my roommate was henry aiken so mm-hmm. uh, you know that that was great you know great sources mm-hmm. of of information and knowledge with respect to jujitsu <laughs> at, at a early time in in jujitsu at least in the states right yeah like a, like a friend of well he's probably like my best friend He's, he just got his black belt in BJJ. He was the one who got me into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, or at least pushed me in the direction of it. We met each other through Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, he's trained with Henry at seminars and so forth and raved about him. And he was like, you got to shut this guy out, you know? So the next chance yeah. I get to train with Henry, I'm, I'm going to do it for sure. Um, yeah, he's just, posting up some stuff yeah. recently. Um, he'll be here with me. He comes in, in not even for training. We hang out and mm-hmm. do some stuff. But um, oh. the... Uh, I think in the summertime he'll be out here. So if, if you, uh, mm-hmm. if you see that posted, you're welcome to come. I know he's got some awesome. stuff out in, uh, in Montana at mm-hmm. SBG, but um, yeah, I mean, Henry's a great dude. You know, we've mm-hmm. done a lot of good stuff, climb Mount Kilimanjaro together and uh, wow. a lot of yeah. other stuff we probably shouldn't even talk about. So right, right. Um, there... good stuff. If you get a chance, mm-hmm. I, I highly mm-hmm. recommend it. Another, another Henry Atkins, Atkins, I'm sorry, Atkins story. I, I had trained with a guy named Bill Atkins. So I'll say Atkins sometimes accident. But another Henry story you had, there was a f- inter uh, uh, an interaction you had with somebody with a knife in a bar <laughs> in San Francisco. Is that correct? 
Uh, no, it's, it's no. close. You, you, you've got pieces of it. But uh, uh-huh. when I had first moved out to L.A., we uh, we were young guys and going around mm-hmm. to clubs. And mm-hmm. We worked as a bouncer at some clubs. And, and we had uh, a night at, I can't remember the name of the place Henry could tell you, but mm-hmm. uh, a Hugh Hefner-owned place where he was at. And we'd come out of it. And this was right mm-hmm. off of, of Hollywood Boulevard, which is not a nice area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we come out in the parking structure. So it's it's. In, in LA, they don't have mm-hmm. underground structures in many places. It's, it's typically above ground. So we have a parking right. structure would come out. And as we're getting in, there's two guys messing with two other younger guys. And the two guys are kind of street thug type guys. And then there's two guys that are like dressed nice and younger and kind of, you know, innocent mm-hmm. looking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we walked up on it because we were walking toward the car. And then uh, long story short, they, they asked if, if we wanted some and the guys took off and the, the guys were being accosted. And then, mm-hmm. um, as he started to engage us, I didn't know at the time what Henry would do because, you know, I was used to the guys in the Midwest and the guys that I was training at the Midwest, the street fights would happen on a regular basis. So I knew exactly what they would do. So mm-hmm. as I'm looking at one guy, Henry's squared to the other guy and they both have knives and, and, uh, the, the best, you know, initial response from Henry was he puts his hands like, what, what do you, what do you, what do you have a knife for? What are you going to do with mm-hmm. that? I can't believe you have a knife. I can't believe you have a knife. And it's bam just smacks the guy across the face and then the fight was on we both fighting and, and obviously did what we needed to do in that situation but uh that was a good introduction like okay good he's he's good off the mats it's not just an on the mats thing so uh you know a lot of situations like that that uh, solidified our, our friendship uh so yeah good good dude a good guy to train with good guy to, to rely on nice right yeah he sounds like it um you know you brought up you brought up a thing about the subject of that was knives part of it. And I was actually talking to some guys in the academy the other day, just by coincidence, we we're talking about that. What's your, and I think you mentioned this in another interview I listened to, but I wanted to get your, your input on it. What is your overall thought process when dealing with somebody with an edge weapon? Mm, I, if you don't I, have I, a firearm, I, if you don't have a yeah, firearm. Yeah. So uh, I, I hear a lot of guys talking about knife fighting and uh, none of the guys that I know that are really into knife fighting have actually been in real knife fights. So mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a lot of conjecture and a lot of discussion, this and that, and I would do this. Mm-hmm. And and I've been unfortunate enough to get stabbed and have my, my throat mm-hmm. overseas. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good experience, but you know, I think one is is space management, space control to mm-hmm. to have an early ID. So if I can see at a distance that somebody has a knife, then I'm going to start planning for that immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to maintain that space. I think elevation is a huge factor of being above it as opposed to below it uh, and losing mobility. I think mm-hmm. weapons of opportunity in an environment, something that you can throw or something that can absorb a slash or a thrust with a knife is, is a big deal. You know, you say I don't have a gun, but I always have a gun so yeah uh, yeah there's there's a handful of times where i don't so you know that's a a better solution Mm -hmm. um you know you look at at dennis tuller's uh kind of training and the distance they can close with a knife and it you know Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't see that yeah you've got to keep that space um so Mm -hmm. a lot of things i think a guy who's who's on to um some good stuff um who I, I like the concepts that he's mm. been training and teaching, mm. um, knife concepts. Um, so Aaron Genetti is his name. I know Aaron, Eli, okay. Eli Knight also has been working oh, with yeah. Aaron. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, Aaron, Aaron's got a good program and mm. I think it's worth checking out. I don't know, uh, you know, 
I don't know all of the concepts that he presents, but the ones that I've talked to him about and worked with him on were, were very basic and, mm. and very fluid, which mm. I think is a, an important part of, of dealing with any type of weapon system. So, mm. but uh, I think if that's going to be your focus, you got to train the shit out of it. And, right. uh, you know, there are plenty of people out there that have the experience. I, in, in the old days would talk to, criminals i would talk to guys mm-hmm. who were mm-hmm. shanks in prison because they're the ones with the real world experience and mm-hmm. that's the reality you know not that i like to be around those guys and work with those guys but they have the information in the real world experience so there's a lot of value in that uh, but if it's a jujitsu guy i think aaron's I, I think he's a brown belt and eli obviously mm-hmm. is a black mm-hmm. belt like a third or fourth degree but uh aaron's a guy that i would send people who you know, are really into that and they want to develop that system or that defense mm-hmm. or that knowledge. Mm-hmm. He's got a great program and curriculum that's, that's broken out into small digestible pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's like, even when you go back to the whole prison thing, I would think that that's more of like, and this is something we actually talked about in this conversation the other day, which was um, almost like an assassination type attack where it's like, you don't know until it's almost too, until it's basically too late. It's, yeah, it's an ambush. An ambush or a surprise. You don't see the weapon until you, get hit with it on um i i mean i guess it goes back to awareness too just being aware of your surroundings and trying to see things ahead of time and and not putting yourself in those positions early id that that's true for every Mm -hmm. component of combat Mm -hmm. that can be Mm -hmm. in in a foreign war that can be you know up close and personal and a mugging like you you if -hmm. you pay attention to what's going on it's it's you're going to get those clues. It's just, if you take those clues in are able to digest them and then adjust mm. your posture based on that, the, the problem mm. for us is this right here. So if I've got yeah. this thing in my hand and I'm staring at it, uh, I'm distracted. My phone has all my attention and I don't mm. see what's going on in, in my environment. And mm. I also, I think we talked about this before uh, we started to roll, but you know, I have that normalcy bias where I think that, Oh, it never happened before. Therefore it's never going to happen in the future. And that's right. Just, uh, you know, that's, that's a cognitive flaw. Mm. You know, you, if you think that way, you, you're going to be a really easy target. And right. That's, that's not good for anybody that's training martial arts or, or having some type of, of survival mindset. You, you can't get there. You can't get to that point and just accept mm. it. You have to mm. constantly be working the room, working the environment, paying attention mm. to what's going on. Mm. And that's a job. So most mm-hmm. people don't like it because they want to just turn off. Well, when you're right. outside of a, of a, of an area, like outside of your home or outside of a hotel room or outside of wherever, uh, you know, there are threats that exist and, and there are things that you should be scared of. There are things that you mm-hmm. should be afraid of. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you know, the, going back to your point about this, about like mobile phones or carrying your phone and walking around with the thing, I catch myself doing that like everybody. And then I stop myself and, I, and I've gotten really been getting to myself about it a lot lately. And the fact of like, yes, as a, as a self, def- self awareness or self-defense thing. Yes. But also it just has a thing of like being the moment in like, Pay attention to your life, things that are happening around you, and, and what you're doing, and stop staring at that freaking thing all the time. I think we get too caught up in in our little little electronic electronic friends and and social media and et cetera, and, and it just like it's like consumes our lives. It's stupid, um, but I do I do do that now. I stop myself and I push it away and I put it back in my pocket and I just start paying attention to what's going on around me and and just living in the moment of my life. And it's just I think that's important. 
Yeah, I think that, that that's probably true for everybody. I know it's true for yeah. me as well. And and the thing is, at our age, uh, you know, when you're around 50 years old, mm -hmm. you you had an entire life without these things. So it's easy right. for me and you at our ages to mm -hmm. adapt and say, okay, I just did this thing. I know I need to pull away from it. But imagine mm -hmm. a kid who's 25, you know, yeah. who their entire life, these things have existed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's much harder for them. Uh, mm -hmm. it, the, the one thing, um, to your point about living in the now, mm -hmm. and I've talked to guys about this before, but the beauty of jujitsu is it takes guys like me who live mm -hmm. in two zones. I live in the past because I get mm -hmm. lessons learned from the past mm -hmm. and I live in the future where I'm implementing the lessons learned to prevent things from happening. So I'm scanning, assessing, thinking about what could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not living in the now and, and jujitsu right. forces you to be in the present because if you're not in the present, when you're rolling in jujitsu, you're going to mm. get smashed. Right. Uh, so you're constantly forced back to the present in jujitsu, which is maybe one of the only times guys like me mm. are going to be in the present moment in nowhere else, not in the past, not in the mm. future, but right mm. here in this second. So mm. there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that actually applies to everyone. I mean, I, I, I see where your point is with your situation or, you know, your profession. And it, I absolutely would agree. Uh, um, but I think with everybody, it's like, we all have like things in our past that we think about, you know, that we can't let go of, or uh, we think about, you know, things in the future because we all deal with stresses and, or most of us do with work and so forth, uh, family. But yeah, but when you're doing jujitsu, it's like, you're not thinking about any of that stuff, any of it, you know, very rarely, you know, unless you're dealing with somebody who's like way below your skill level and you can sort of think about other stuff. But, um, but yeah, I would agree that I find myself being absolutely in the moment when I'm training and, and, and it's, it's, it's freeing in a way, you know, I know as I deal with like social anxiety and stuff like that too. And, and so it's always nice to be, you know, to when I'm rolling that I, I'm not, I, I never feel those feelings usually i don't have that issue that i deal with no um, no i mean that's that's one of the the many beauties of mm -hmm. jujitsu mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, and and to your point you know if you're if you're going with a guy really low and you're able to do mm -hmm. other things mm -hmm. um you know the guy's probably too low for you if i'm rolling with a guy and having a conversation with another guy there's mm -hmm. only one of two things either i'm bored or mm -hmm. i'm trying to crush that guy psychologically mm -hmm. because imagine mm -hmm. you're getting yeah. played with yeah. and that mm -hmm. person's having a full-on conversation with somebody else so it's mm -hmm. either a psychological crush or you're really bored, but, but, um, I agree, you know, being in the moment is, is mandatory in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. I don't mean, mm -hmm. you know, listening to someone lecture about a position or talk about it and mm -hmm. end up giving a, a dissertation on it this 20 or 30 minutes. But I mean, when you're rolling, when you're right. in live right. rolling, when you're sparring, mm -hmm. when you have open training, mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're forced, you're forced to be in that moment. So again, I'm just using me as an example. It's, mm -hmm. it's a great time to, to relax. It's a great time to, to be present. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of us are wired now to have very short attention spans because society right. now is operating on these, these little snippets, little snippets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, this helps to kind of focus on one thing for an hour or 90 minutes or however long you decide to train. Mm -hmm. but, uh, in yeah. addition to the myriad of, of great benefits of jujitsu, you know, camaraderie, physical fitness, mm -hmm. uh, you know, general overall health components, uh, you know, de-stressing, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So I wanted to go back to Hickson. So okay. like I said, Hickson is like, to me, he's like, he's like absolutely one of the goats, you know, yeah. of, of uh, jiu-jitsu. What was it like to, I mean, I mean, it's a general question, but what was it like to train with him? What's it like to like actually roll with him to feel like his jiu-jitsu? What is it? Um, well, I, you know, by the time I was there, I was a purple belt and mm -hmm. um, 
so I had a good amount of knowledge and I had a bunch of titles and I had, mm. you know, MMA fights and I had a bunch of real world experience in the Marine Corps. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, the first thing that comes to mind is it, it's demeaning because mm. he can do whatever he wants to you. And, and back then, obviously he was a lot younger because it was mm. 20, 25 years ago, but, um, he would do a lot of different things to challenge himself, but at the same time, it demoralizes you because, right. for example, if if he's telling you, I'm going to finish you with a rear naked choke, and then he starts counting down, five, <laughs> four, three, like, shit. And, you know, no matter what you do to defend it, the guy's on you. Or, mm -hmm. you know, he used to do... Um, famously i think uh drills where he would put one hand in the belt and roll then he put two hands in the belt and roll with you mm. um so or he'd give you like a position like okay get on my back and you can sink in a rear naked choke and then he'd still mm. get out and finish you mm -hmm. so those kinds of things were on the front end um you know outside of the lessons were uh, eye-opening right where mm -hmm. you could do that to everybody else and all of a sudden you had these guys doing it to you and, and hicks in particular mm -hmm. so there's that and then the other side of it was um seeing him roll with guys who are very high level competitors and just mm. toying with them and like trying to understand how he can just mess with a black belt world champion at any weight. And all of a sudden they're coming in the gym and I'm seeing them tap five or six times. That's uh, eye opening too, because those guys yeah. are, they're physical studs. Um, they're technical studs, you know, they're used to that stress of competition and then Hickson mm. would just take them apart. Like it was nothing. And you'd see them sometimes if he's sitting, you know, on the side of the mat and they'd be beside mm. them. So they couldn't believe what had just happened to them. Mm. Um, if you ever, if you ever seen, um, in a gym where like a very good female jujitsu player or fighter, uh, competes with a guy who's a white belt who's a bigger guy who he thinks he's going to do whatever and she just toys with him and right right that guy like almost yeah. in tears because this girl just tuned him up mm -hmm. uh, it's the same kind of thing hickson used to have these good guys come in and and then you'd see them and they'd be they couldn't process mentally what had just occurred to them mm -hmm. and that was a common a common theme you know even amongst the brothers that would come in and, and train with him his own mm -hmm. brothers he, mm -hmm. he was way more dominant and mm -hmm. um it, it just, it, it shows you what the possibilities are. Now I, I say that, I think he was born a certain way too. You know, he was, right. he was born who he was born and, and exposed to certain things and took to it and it all resonated. And, um, it, it, he's a different person and yeah. you can't compare him to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I actually read his book, breathe. It was really good. Um, but, but eye opening too. I mean, he had a hard life you know, in a lot of ways. Um, a lot, a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of conflicts. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, a lot of that stuff, uh, he, he was born with the genetics that he was born with. I mean, if you look mm -hmm. at Hicks and, um, and you, you know, Master Alio, when he was around, Master Alio was a tiny, tiny man. And yes. If you look on my site, you'll see a couple pictures of me with him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, and I'm not a big guy. I'm 5'10 and 175 pounds. So I'm, I'm small. Mm -hmm. And I would tower over him and I would look way thicker than him. And Hickson didn't have that body build. Hickson was mm -hmm. actually thick and muscular. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, if you look at their skin colors, different and their hair textures, are very, very different than, than mm -hmm. Master Alio. You mm -hmm. know, if you look at Hoyler, Hoyler's much more akin to Master Alio. He got more mm -hmm. of those genetics. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think they actually had the same moms, but that's another conversation. Right. So, so uh hickson was built different he arrived different and he developed differently and i think he mm -hmm. also had a propensity to 
um, be more involved in wild circles. And, and mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. of that, that changed his mindset. And the other guys mm-hmm. were a little bit, I don't want to say on the straight and narrow, but compared mm-hmm. to Hickson, they were more right. straight and narrow. And so Hickson's mind developed from being around maybe criminal elements and mm-hmm. people like that mm-hmm. uh, in a way that the other guys didn't. So it's just a, a very different story. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if we have anything similar to him now. Um, obviously he's in his sixties now, so you can't mm-hmm. compare him to a guy who's 25 and, right competing full-time and that's a big difference too with mm. what existed back then and now mm. guys now have dietitians, right they have mm. personal mm. trainers mm. they have supplementation experts mm. they have mm. a, a a striking coach they have a ground coach and mm. and they have you know all these different people around them to support them and and that didn't exist back in the day so mm. they're de- developing better athletes more technical mm. athletes um, but if you look at the best guys, I think, um, you mm-hmm. know, you, if, if I just name Hodger Gracie as, mm-hmm. as guy, his jujitsu is very simple, which is mm-hmm. very similar to Hickson style. Hickson mm-hmm. wasn't mm-hmm. doing crazy technical movements. He was doing simple movements very well. You just couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And Hodger very much has that, that style. So, uh, getting back to military law enforcement, mm-hmm. street fighting, you know, it all comes down to the core stuff and the core stuff is not barren ball lowering inverted or any of this kind of stuff. It's, it's the basics, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's position before submission. It's, it's understanding all those super basic components and then being able to apply the technique under stress. Mm-hmm. That's what jujitsu is about, at least for me. It is for me too. Uh, absolutely. I've always been, uh, and that's something I took from karate and Japanese jujitsu was always the, the thing of the kihon, the, the, the foundation is the most important thing. And, and I think that in order, I mean, my first coach told me this in BJJ and I, and I absolutely positively believe it. He said, the only difference between a white belt and a black belt is that a black belt just knows how to do the same stuff a lot better and has better timing. And, and I, I still strongly uh, uh, believe in that. I still, my personal game is very foundation based. It's like Kimura and triangles and stuff like that. And um, I still really believe that. I think that the way to get better is get better at those things and get better timing and better combinations and stringing them together and, and knowing what the other person's going to try to do to get out of them and how to counter that, that counter. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exactly where I'm looking at. Like, but that's, that's why I like when I look at guys like Hickson or even like you said, Hodger, like I look, I watch their jujitsu and that to me is that's the most impressive type of jujitsu. And, and even like, uh, it's really why I actually respect as a grappler, Gordon Ryan and those guys, because like Gordon's jujitsu is very basic. You know, and and isometric, you know, based on isometric strength and basic positions, um, and that to me is really impressive. I, I I've never really been one for like Aaron Ballos and stuff. Not that I, I'm not putting it down, but no, I mean, listen, there are guys, thing, there are guys you know? that their objective. You know, I think this all starts mm-hmm. with what's your objective? How do you see mm-hmm. jujitsu? So mm-hmm. if you see it as physical fitness, great. If you see mm-hmm. it as sport great mm-hmm. if you see it as you know a street great mm-hmm. it, it depends on your objective right and that's yeah. going to determine what is best for you what is mm-hmm. suited for your objective mm-hmm. um, i'm talking about uh, you know my my perspective personally is mm-hmm. you know what i'm trying to do needs to work in street it right. needs to work in sport jujitsu or mma mm-hmm. it needs to mm-hmm. work in all these different realms i'm trying to mm-hmm. keep it super simple super mm-hmm. basic 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just, you know, I came up that way and I've stayed that way. And I, I it's not to say I haven't evolved and haven't grown mm-hmm. and learned more, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to take any complexities out of my game to simplify it even further, as opposed to continually add more complexities into my mm-hmm. game. That's, that doesn't mm-hmm. work for what I want. Mm-hmm. If I have to operate with a bunch of kit on, if I'm operating on concrete, if I'm operating with, you know, uh, weapons, I, it just, mm-hmm. that becomes too complex in the first place so why would i want to add complexities to it i need it to be simple and mm. the more points that you have like if you have to move from point a to point b to point c to point c to d d to you just keep mm. going right let's say you have mm. seven or ten or fifteen steps in your movement mm. each of those points each of those transition points are points of potential failure so if i want to prevent something from failing i make it more simple more basic mm. um everybody doesn't have to agree to that that's what mm. i've found to work for me mm. and if a guy does upside down guard and barabolo and turtle and that great if that's what works for you you should do that mm. so it's mm. it's not shit talking that that technique i'm just saying that's not an ideal position for a street fight or to have gear on or for military mm. or for law enforcement or for protective service operations. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm speaking to my, my mm. little world. Mm. Well, I a thousand, I a thousand percent agree. And, and, and even in my little world where you know, I'm not worried about some of the things you're worried about because I, I don't do those things. Um, but for me, it's more, of, I, I've always been into martial arts for self-defense. That was the primary thing while I got into martial arts and I still feel like that. And I have, yes, I've competed in jujitsu and I've done the sport thing and I'll probably do it again. Um, but my primary focus is self-defense. And so I like to keep it in that realm in my own head, you know, where I am with it. Um, and so I think you and I are saying the same thing in two, yeah, two I, different I, perspectives. I, I'm but, still doing this. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. still doing that stuff, though. I can still mm-hmm. go out and win mm-hmm. win medals at, at big mm-hmm. tournaments. Um, mm-hmm. But the medal's not going to save my ass. And, no. uh, you know, I, on the street, no one's keeping score and right. you're not on mats and you don't have a referee. And so I love jujitsu and, and, mm-hmm. and I think there are benefits to competition, mostly mental. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, again, objective based training, mm-hmm. objective based mm-hmm. design for your system and what works mm-hmm. for you. And like we mm-hmm. talked about earlier, you know, there are really critical components. What is your mind like? Meaning, are you default aggressive? Are you kind of neutral? Are you passive in general? Mm-hmm. Uh, what What are your limb lengths like? Are you very long? Are you kind of in the middle? Are you short limbs? What What is your thickness like? Are you Are you thick? Are you kind of medium? Are you really thin? Mm-hmm. Those factors are going to change what works for you and doesn't work for you. And then another component that changes guys games all the time is their instructor. So how right. do they teach and, and does their approach, does their methodology or process uh, or, or manner of transferring knowledge, does that work for you? Or is it like, man, it takes me forever to learn from this guy. But then I go over to this gym over here, I, I'm mm-hmm. on a trip and this guy's teaching and, and I'm digesting it immediately because of the mm-hmm. way he presents the material. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a whole nother topic that we can get into because right you know, jujitsu teachers, um, as a whole are jujitsu fighters, jujitsu competitors, jujitsu guys like that. Mm. And they're not, they're not businessmen and they're not teachers by trade. So they haven't Mm. learned certain methodologies and teaching and how people process stuff and how to adjust for different styles and methods of, of, of instruction. Um, you know, and so you get these wildly, these varying, 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 Highly varying degrees of instruction from guys where mm. some guys take 30 minutes to explain a really simple technique and you have other guys that take 30 seconds to explain a technique and then you've got everybody right. in the middle so right i yeah i, I agree, absolutely agree with that i've had or, or or sometimes it's like too much information at one time 
You see that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, guys, white belts are just trying to grasp what's going on. You know, Mm -hmm. imagine, imagine, you know, nothing about martial arts and you walk Mm -hmm. into a school and they're doing some type of inverted guard movement. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what the mount is. I don't know what the back is. I don't know what knee and belly is. I don't know what cross mm-hmm. side. I, I don't know mm-hmm. anything. And the first mm-hmm. thing I see is this thing. And I'm, I'm trying in my head to reconcile where would that come into play in a fight? Like, right. do I even want to learn this thing if this is what they're doing? Because mm-hmm. I don't understand. And, and in most schools, I'm not speaking to all mm-hmm. schools, but mm-hmm. most schools, they don't take the time to show the new guy like, hey, this is mount and this is cross eye and this is knee and belly and this is the back mm-hmm. and here mm-hmm. here are the benefits to this here are the 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 weaknesses in this and here are the points associated with it and the mm-hmm. reason that the point value exists because the more dominant the position the higher the likelihood of them winning in a fight they associate more points to it right so right. the takedowns getting two the knee and belly is getting two you know they start to talk mm-hmm. about the points and why they're awarded points for this so you understand the mm-hmm. value mm-hmm. and what your objective is and all these things and and in my experience when you go to a school it could be your first day of anything. No one takes the time to show them or tell them or explain that. But if you went to any school for something, for anything else, you, it could be computers, it could be cars, it could be whatever. Mm-hmm. They're going to give you the fundamentals first. They're going to give you an overview. They're going to walk you through it. And then they're going to give you these building blocks, right? Which mm-hmm. is called the chunking methodology. Mm-hmm. And they're going to teach you that way. And then you're going to grow much quicker and more consistently that way instead of having to spend the first six months trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I remember watching. I mean, that first interview that John Danaher did on Joe Rogan, where he described he he discussed the point system and what it's based on, based on your ability to strike and control your opponent. Mm-hmm. Nobody's and nobody ever said that to me before, and and it made a lot of sense. And I think it made a lot of sense to Joe too, because he didn't understand it either. I think apparently by the by the interview, um, by his response, but. Um, that's because he was shit talking Joe too when he was making mm-hmm. fun of where he got his belt from. Right, right from Tenth Planet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're Tenth Planet black belt. That's why. But uh, yeah, but it's it absolutely made a lot of sense. And we, I recently, we recently had a seminar with uh, Sean Williams at my academy. Yeah, and, I know, and, I know Sean from the nineties yeah. too. Sean and I were purple belts awesome. at the same time. He's a great yeah. guy. Awesome guy. Awesome guy. We did a uh, we did a body lock seminar with him, and it was awesome. And um, you know, I bought like body lock from passing, passing mm-hmm. the guard. Yep, yep, yeah. And I went on his website and I bought the bought the instructional afterwards so I can keep working on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was he was talking about that too, where he he says his his method his method now is to, he doesn't even go to cross side. He goes straight to mount or back control. And and I do the same thing where I try to do it, and I that just makes a lot of sense to me. You have the most you know yeah. dominating positions, and you do the most damage and get it done. You know. Yeah. Good guy, good, good teacher, yeah. you know, been around yeah. a while, came yeah. from a great source. I mean, Sean's, yeah. Sean's a real deal. Yeah, he's legit. He's absolutely legit. He was, it was a lot of fun. It was probably one of the best seminars I went to. I've, I've been to, you know, a handful of seminars. And How about you? What about, what's your opinion on jujitsu seminars? I, I think a lot of times they're yeah, man. Back, back to varying wildly, I, I've mm-hmm. had, um, you know, I don't go around to seminars mm-hmm. because I've just been blessed with being around great people. So, mm-hmm. and then I travel, so I get to train with different people. So that's I, true. I yeah. I don't need to go to seminars just mm-hmm. because I'm getting that really broad exposure, but mm-hmm. the seminars have been brought to my gym, to, to my home gym. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've had seminars that are not very good. They've had seminars that are, you know, decent. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times what, 
the instructor wants to do is show you what they know or show you what they can do. Mm-hmm. And they're not spending a lot of time, you know, working with the individuals or looking at the school as a whole and saying, this is kind of where their game is and this is where the mm-hmm. hole in their game is. And so I'm going to teach to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think Sean's a great teacher. I think Henry's mm-hmm. a great teacher. Those guys mm-hmm. put on good seminars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, another thing is, what's your state of mind in that time? So the thing with a seminar is it's just a window. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas when you're with an instructor for years and you're, you've kind of learned how they teach and you know, what they're going to present. And so you're learning how to learn from them. Mm-hmm. A seminar is very quick. So you think about, you know, when you get sick, it's for a short period of time or when, when you're really focused on something at work or where you have a family from whatever, if the seminar is happening at that time, the chance of you retaining it is lower. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one way to kind of combat that, and, and you've seen this late, lately, I don't know if you paid attention, but like the seminars are doing in Costa Rica mm-hmm. where they pair it with fun. And so I know Chewy uh, is mm-hmm. going down there. Henry's mm-hmm. going down mm-hmm. there. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of names are going down there. Yeah, and so yeah. the guys are having fun. They're bonding, they're developing. And then over the course of say a three to five day seminar, you see that, that the, absorption rate is much higher because mm. the instructors walking around in these small groups, talking to everybody, seeing what they do, what they like, mm. what they don't mm. like. They're able mm. to have a, more of a Q and a, um, and I think that changes with, with the instructor, but in a lot of the seminars I've seen, they want to show something and then they might correct a couple of the guys, but they don't get to work the entire room mm. and, uh, you know, they're on to the next thing. And so they have this mm. window of four hour seminar or, mm. you know, mm-hmm two, four hour summers or whatever it is. And they're just kind of pushing through material. And I I don't think that's super beneficial. And as you noted before, like whether you're dealing with white belts or black belts, um, you know, the material is going to be more or less relevant. And so Mm -hmm. you have to adjust that material for your audience. And, you know, it takes a lot to, to be, uh, able to do that. It takes training experience to be able to do that. And some instructors are great and some not so much. And then yeah. you have another factor. Uh, you have just that general <laughs> vibe that comes off an instructor, whether they're cocky and shitty and, you know, they're too good <laughs> or whatever, or the other extreme would be like, um, Henzo. So Henzo came, I asked him to come to St. Louis to do a seminar. <laughs> he came and did a seminar for our, our gym and we had like 120 people at the seminar. Uh, we did it in a, in a, at a university in the wrestling room. And he, just to give you an example, his flight got canceled for bad weather on the Northeast coast. Mm-hmm. And he said, man, I'm coming. I'm like, listen, I got guys coming in from out of town. Henzo, so you got to tell me if you can't make it, I get, you can't make it because of weather, but just tell me so I can tell these other guys not to drive eight hours here or 12 mm-hmm. hours. He's like, buddy, going to be there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. So the guys came in and, and sure as shit, he jumps in a car, has an accident. He pulls up, he's one hour late, literally, you know, from the time that they canceled his flight to the time the seminar was starting, it was like 18 hours. And he had like a 15, 15 hour drive. Wow. He jumped in his car overnight, drove to the seminar. And I'm like, man, you're going to be oh. smoked. Are you sure you don't want to go get some coffee or <clears> take a <throat> nap or what? No, buddy, I'm great. And he's, so he, <laughs> gets out of his car and look at his car and his car, the, the whole rear end bumper is just like ripped off. Oh my like, God. Yeah, but it had this accident. So he literally, instead of getting on the plane, which he couldn't do, mm-hmm. he jumped in his car, drove there, had an accident, continued to drive, drove, uh, whatever it was, 15 or 16 hours straight through and went into a seminar. He's supposed to do a three hour seminar, ended up doing a five hour seminar the wow. whole time. He's laughing and joking and showing <laughs> great material. And he worked that entire room of 120 people nonstop. 
that takes a special person. Yeah. And, and, and he's that. So he's motivated. He's passionate. He's a good storyteller. He engages with people. He looks mm -hmm. in their eyes and you, you, you can't teach somebody that, that. Is no. I would, I would love to meet him sometime. I'd love to, I'd love to train with him. That'd be like one of my, my Mount Rushmore BJJ guys. That would be so much. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I had, I had Rich uh, uh, on my, my podcast before when it was on the under the old name and we had a he told a lot of stories about Henzo and I was just like man it's just like I, I would love to meet him and just hang out with him for a little bit and, and train with him it'd be so cool yeah I I don't know anybody that know really knows him that doesn't mm -hmm. like him I mean it's hard. yeah you really have to do something pretty bad to not like that dude right he's just he's he's one of a kind he, yeah of the entire Gracie clan he is uh <laughs> extremely unique and the mm -hmm. way that he looks at things his approach how he handles stuff uh, mm -hmm. everything is different than every other person in that family it's amazing yeah yeah it, it's it's totally evident so i wanted to talk about how did you get into how did you get involved with celebrity protection how that happened because uh, you because you've like you've got quite a resume of of like musicians and stuff you work with yeah i mean that that's intertwined so mm -hmm. um i was Henry and I were living together in LA and I was mm -hmm. training at Hickson's and I was in the Marine Corps. So, um, one of the B billets, and I, and I know most people don't know what that means, but B bill is just a secondary <laughs> duty or a periphery duty that you have. So let's say I'm an infantry guy and my job mm -hmm. is to be in the infantry, whatever that job is, a rifleman, a mortarman, mm -hmm. or whatever, small unit leader. Then the Marine Corps assigns me to another task that's not related, but they need support in that role. And one of the things that I lobbied for and got was the motion picture liaison. So at the 405 in Wilshire is a big building. It's called the Oppenheimer Tower and mm. right by the federal building. And they have an office and there's an office for Marines, for sailors, for airmen, mm. For mm. all the branches. Um, and they basically or are dedicated to Hollywood in a nutshell, um, which in and of itself is a very weird thing because the military is a more structured, more conservative thing. And then Hollywood is whatever Hollywood is. Mm. Um, so that was a, a, another interesting learning curve. But uh, so I got assigned to that office and what the job was, was to teach actors how to walk and talk like Marines and take their scripts and edit their scripts. So when they say a certain word that we would never use, you know, like they say, oh, they put their hat on. Like, no, no, we don't mm -hmm. say hat. We say cover. cover they say, oh, yeah. they, you know, they went to latrine. We don't say latrine. We say head, you mm -hmm. know, and they, they went to the cafeteria. We don't say cafeteria. We say chow hall. Mm -hmm. And so you would edit the vernacular. You would, let's say, you know, they have their ribbons and badges and all this stuff. Right. On. We would go in there and say, no, the spacing's wrong on that. The precedence order mm -hmm. of that particular mm -hmm. award is out of, out of order. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is how we move. This is how we march. This is how we mm -hmm. shoot. This is how mm -hmm. we whatever. So we mm -hmm. train the actors. Um, and in, in return, it gives the Department of Defense some recruiting value, right? So if you look at Top Gun, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for naval aviators in particular, mm -hmm. they had so many people lining up for that after, I mean, the, it, not even in, in aviation. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a massive recruiting tool. So DOD mm -hmm. gets something out of it. And then the, 
the entity shooting the film gets access not only to the technical advisor and the person editing the script, but they also get access to bases to shoot. They also get access to, mm -hmm. uh, to role players and, and basically people in the background moving around and doing things like extras. Um, mm -hmm. And then they get the equipment. So you get jets and whatever. So they just tie mm -hmm. it into existing training, which was going to happen. And then mm -hmm. they let them capture it and then they let them modify it a little bit and stuff like that. So I had that job. And I was training Hickson's. Hickson's um, had just moved from um, the Pico Academy to Academy uh, in the Palisades. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, I don't know if you know Pacific Palisades, but uh, it is in a nice area in the canyons. And it was in the lower level in a, in a karate school. Mm -hmm. And we were training and, and uh, long story short, um, we had famous people coming and going all the time. And, one of the guys that had come in from living overseas was into the film business and I, I didn't know what he did. And he started training with us and then he was interested in MMA, which was NHB at the time. And it, right. at that point in time, I was the only guy in the gym who had been an MMA or an NHB guy. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to take privates and talk to me about it and train with me. And eventually what happened is he asked me to come, you know, meet the, the lady he was dating. And I think they had just had a kid, um, and, you know, I had come after work. So I was in my Marine Corps uniform and, and what are called alphas, the green Marine Corps uniforms. And uh, I had gone to Beverly Hills to the address he gave me and, and his his girlfriend, fiance, whatever she was at the time, was Madonna. And mm. so um, I met her and had talked to her for a while. We had dinner and, and Guy basically said, hey, I need someone to train with me while she's on tour and she needs an extra security guy. So you know, are you open to being that guy and my trainer? I'm like, yeah, of course. So mm -hmm. I was getting out of the Marine Corps, uh, what they call EAS and active service. And as mm -hmm. soon as I ended active service, I went to work for her. Um, and after that, I basically developed, um, what, what they call TTPs or tactics, techniques and procedures, protocols mm -hmm. and policies mm -hmm. and things like that for a business. Um, and I'd already been doing it down in Mexico and places like that. So, uh, I put a package together. I started hiring guys. Uh, I started picking up other artists. Um, you know, we're 80% entertainment. So 80% music tours and films on location in foreign countries mm -hmm. and then 10% executives and then 10% um, governmental. So, you know, that, that kind of kicked off the entertainment side of our business and, right. um, you know, 30 something clients in on the entertainment side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the one that uh, really grabbed my attention based on my own taste was Motley Crue. And, and you had, <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, you had a, an interesting experience with Tommy one time. You want to go into that? Uh, well, I don't know which one you're referencing. Oh, the, the one where you... So many interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the one with the DJ, the DJ uh, gig. Or... Uh, yeah. So yeah. we're in Eastern Europe and, um, and, and this is public knowledge, so I can mm -hmm. openly yeah, discuss so, it. Yeah, Once he yeah. starts talking about things and he puts it in the press, then I can, mm -hmm discuss it if if mm -hmm. if not i would be bound to to confidentiality and not mm -hmm. disclose and it's not good for my business to disclose right. things unless they're public right um, but but tommy had decided to do this gig and we we're in <laughs> eastern europe and he, he took this side gig so we had done a show a motley crew show in an arena a proper show mm -hmm. and um, i was running advanced site survey so i was doing you know a basically the work ahead of time. So I jump ahead, I'd organize mm -hmm. the venue, the hotels, the flights, the cars, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. then I'd catch them, get them in. And then I would move to the next city. Uh, but uh, he had a, 
a, a very large Samoan guy who's a great guy uh, doing his personal security, but he wasn't used to going into uh, more challenging areas. And this was a, a war zone. Mm-hmm. So he's like, ah, oh, man, I'm not comfortable with this. I, I don't think this is right. Can you do this? Which mm-hmm. is an odd thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah I'll, I'll do it. So I literally had worked uh, a 20 hour shift and then we jumped on a plane and I had, I had briefed him that, Hey man, if we take this guy's private jet and we get there and we're in his cars and we're going to his location and we're in his space and he has his guys, we have no control. We've relinquished mm-hmm. all the power to them. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, 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 we're going to do, we're going to do, it's going to be great. We're going to make money. We're going to have fun. No, no, no. Okay, great. So it's me, him, um, his his personal assistant, and a drum tech, and then we got some gear, and we're flying to this Eastern European country, and uh, we get there, and the flight's rerouted, go to a different airport for weather-related stuff, and then we have to take a two-hour drive to where he's performing, and we get there, and everything's everything's kind of okay, but you know, in third, not third world, but uh, in in. Uh, less rich non-first world countries coming out of war uh there are a lot of challenges and Mm -hmm. so they had some of those challenges for us logistically but we got stuff done and um long story short he's performing now he's got this room full of people he's performing Mm -hmm. for and they hired him to be a drummer but he Mm -hmm. came in and he's a big fan of being a dj like Mm -hmm. techno type dj Mm -hmm. so he's doing his dj work and uh you know he stops plays drums for a few minutes goes back to djing and he's almost ignoring the drumming portion of it right mm. so this eastern european guy who's running it's coming up to me he's like it tells tommy to get on the drums i don't hire him for get on the drums i'm like okay cool i get it so i wait a little bit and then go to him and say hey dude you need to play the drums the guy that hired you is you know freaking out and blah blah, blah. He's like, yeah 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 woo, woo, screaming yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. he's kind of just blowing it off because uh-huh. he's, he's feeling the dj part and artists right. that's how they operate artists feel so they don't think logically, they feel, mm-hmm. they, they have emotions and they, they react to emotions. So he's doing that. The guy comes out like, if Tommy don't play drums right now. And I'm like, okay, this is a threat. So like, I get it. And and he's got arm guys. There. So I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want a piece of that. And uh, so I'm like grabbing Tommy, like, Hey, listen. And, and this is the point where, you know, you're professional and you're kind to him and you're very formal. And then all of a sudden it's like, motherfucker, get off the fucking DJ table, get on this fucking kit. You're going to play right now. And then as I get him back off and he started playing, I'm going to, you know, his, his tag and like, Hey man, do you have any screwdrivers, you, anything at all? Do you have any sharp objects? And he's like, what, what do you, what do you mean? I'm like, give me whatever the fuck you have. Because at this point we don't have what we would normally have. We don't right. have weapons. We don't have teams. We don't have cars. We don't have just, um, fortunately for me, I had a relationship with, uh, the Marines on MSG duty that were at the embassy that was mm-hmm. a couple hours away. Mm-hmm. And and I said, hey, I'm going here. I'm doing this thing. I need whatever. And then they re- report to what's called an RSO or regional security officer, the guy that's responsible for the protection of the ambassador and the embassy and American mm-hmm. assets. Anyway, so this is going on, and this guy comes up and is like, "You're done. I need the money now." And he wanted the money back that he was paid, but it's like a weekend wow. in Eastern Europe, and and there was no way to get him money back, and. It became a shit show quick. We ended up outside. We ended up in a circle with uh, guys with AKs. Oh my God. Uh, you know, that's it's not a good position to be in. I mm-hmm. had a conversation, explained to him that we were going to work on getting the money. I just needed a quiet place to put Tommy and those guys in and whatever else. And mm-hmm. and and I did. And, and luckily I had a couple phones and uh, I had that contact at the State mm-hmm. Department. And uh, those guys assisted and 
they sent us some people who were pleased. The police were owned by this particular, we'll call him a promoter. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the, the promoter sent the police away who worked for him. Mm -hmm. uh, and they got another group of guys that they came in and they created a distraction. We got out, but we were in a taxi. The promoter followed the taxi. We got to a jet who was, uh, it wasn't Tommy's. It was somebody else's mm -hmm. uh, a guy named uh, Eric Maria, who was a, a, a popular DJ anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so we got, we got out of the country, but uh, you know, it was one of those shit shows, you know, at the muzzle end of uh, AK 47, it's not a nice feeling when you've got no. half a dozen guys or 10 guys that are pointing mm -hmm. weapons at you. You don't have a support structure. So that kind of silly shit that was completely and totally preventable. Uh, we shouldn't have been there in the first place. That kind of shit happens from time to time. Mm -hmm. and, and thankfully a little bit of luck and a little bit of pre-planning and mm -hmm. we're all still here. Jesus, man, that's crazy. That's a that that is a crazy story. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean that the to, to give you the extent of the reach of that particular guy that that brought mm -hmm. him there, mm -hmm. um, he started calling the taxi driver mm -hmm. and, and and literally had to take the taxi driver's phone and mm -hmm. SIM card, take the SIM card mm -hmm. out and throw the phone out the window. Uh, because that's how much reach this guy had. And, Jesus. Uh, you know, just like if you're dealing with war criminals and people like that, mm -hmm. shit's going to happen. And, and, and it did. So wow. a lot of luck and a little bit of planning and, and, uh, it, it ended up working out, but, uh, Motley Crue was full of those stories, full of, uh, issues and mm -hmm. fights and mm -hmm. a lot of silly stuff uh, that happens between, uh, you know, hell's angels and just mm -hmm. you know, drunken madness and the, mm -hmm. Debauchery that comes with Motley Crue. So yeah, I, I believe it based on the. I read, I'm reading their book right now. I'm halfway through it, and uh, the dirt. And I mean, I I think the the Netflix film wasn't great in my opinion, but yeah, but it gives I, you an I idea. I didn't see it. I haven't read their books. I I, I can uh, talk to you about what what yeah, really you saw it. Yeah, we really places, have. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it it's no joke. They they. Uh, certainly lived at least in my tenure with mm -hmm. them they, mm -hmm. they lived on the edge and mm -hmm. uh, it was it was it was wild all the time crazy would you say that they're the, that they they were the wildest of all the people you worked with no no I mean, wow I, I think they were the most consistent about mm -hmm. it but, uh, <laughs> there were people that went to to greater extremes and had uh, greater proclivities um wow. you know i have to I have to not only have that confidentiality clause with mm -hmm, them mm -hmm. and watch what I say, but also at the same time, you know, I, I, I don't want to align with not only their ideology, but their behaviors and things like that. Cause that's not part of my right. personal value structure, but um, you know, the, the things that go on behind the scenes with, with some of these people's uh, saying it's extreme is an understatement. Wow. Well, changing gears. So not, not to go too far down that rabbit hole. Um, what about bringing celebrities who train jujitsu to a jujitsu academies? What's that like? Yeah. Um, so normally my, my uh, approach would be not to, to train them in private because, mm -hmm. you know, when people see celebrities, they want to get pictures, they want to get autographs, mm -hmm. they want to talk to them, they want to show them what they know, they want to impress mm -hmm. them. Um, so it's a distraction and, and real learning doesn't get done. So I typically right. don't do that. There are a couple of people mm -hmm. I'll do it with and I'll tend to do it with trusted sources Mm -hmm. uh, and over the last, you know, uh, 25, 30 years of traveling, I have a, a network of guys that train jujitsu and Muay Thai. So mm -hmm. there are places that are, are good for that. Um, you know, I have uh, probably three or four clients that train uh, jujitsu or Muay Thai. 
Um, and one of them just had um, a seminar in Arizona where he opened it up to the public and he was teaching uh, three jujitsu seminars. So that was, that was an interesting experience, but um, mm. you know, the rule of thumb would be, no, that's not a good idea. But if they, you know, really want to get out and really want to go do it. We try to control the environment as much as possible. So either it's a private lesson or it's a certain time of day where there'll be less people, um, you know, and then I'll have a relationship with the existing instructor owner of the school and say, Hey, look, we're going to come in. I want to make sure that you tell your guys to keep it low key. And, you know, we condition it as much as we can. We try to affect as many variables in the equation as we can. And then, you know, I'm there. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a wall and I prevent certain things from happening or manage that situation. Mm. Nice. Nice. Can, can you mention any names of any celebrities you've had, you've rolled big GJ with? There are a lot of them. I mean, the, the two that outwardly have talked about me training them are obviously Guy Ritchie and, and mm -hmm. James Keenan from tool. So Maynard mm -hmm. just did his, his seminar out in, uh, Jerome, Arizona, and he mm -hmm. actually owns a, a very large school, um, and you know, he's actively involved in that. So I can, mm -hmm. I can say mm -hmm. that because he's put it out there and, and discussed it. Right. Um, but yeah, Maynard's a brown belt now, guy's a black belt now. Right. Wow. He's a black belt. Wow. Yeah. Guy got his black belt from, um, from Henzo. Uh, I want to mm -hmm. say like seven or eight years, maybe seven years ago, eight years ago. Yeah. Wow. Nice, nice. And he, that, he trains hard. He 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 earned it. It was not a it was mm -hmm. not a gimme. It was not mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. something he was just awarded because he was a celebrity. He he actually really went after it. Nice. Yeah. The the celebrity who does jujitsu right now who I'm the most impressed with is Tom Hardy out of the newer the newer crop. That guy yeah. is like he's pretty hardcore. He's been like competing and like killing it. And well, you know, I dope. I I um not that long ago, I was doing a tournament and, um, right after I got off the podium, uh, Zoltan from five finger death punch, <laughs> uh, got off the nice. podium, you know, black belt division, yeah. uh, you know, he, he's out there as a rock star putting it on mm -hmm. the line. And, uh, that's, that's pretty freaking awesome. I know I saw, uh, Mario Lopez, uh, at a tournament recently. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're starting to do their, their thing. Uh, there was the guy from poison. I can't remember what his name was. That was CC DeVille. Ricky Rocket. Ricky Rocket, yeah. yeah Ricky Rocket, yeah. yeah. So he 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 got his black belt, I want to say 15 years ago. So they're, yeah, they're, they're out there. I, mm -hmm. I don't know that many, you know, Demi Lovato is another one that, that trains jiu-jitsu. They're, they're out there, yeah. but, um, you know, we've had three or four in the last 25 years that actively train. Um, and and it's typically a little different than the average person uh, because they're celebrity and they have a softer life in general. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some exceptions to that, but um, you know, it's, it's cool. It's, it's a great way to establish rapport and have camaraderie with, mm -hmm. with someone that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. There was also, you mentioned his name a couple minutes ago and it popped out of my head. Uh, the guy from saved by the bell. Uh, Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez is co-star yeah. on that show. Also trains you should say. Uh, Mark Paul Gosler, I know yes. yeah. from um, movies because I was a technical mm -hmm. advisor for him mm -hmm. um, and he had just started training. So I don't know if he's still trying. I haven't, I haven't kept in mm -hmm. touch with the dude, but, uh, you know, he was definitely into stuff. He was into mm -hmm. to crotch rockets and mm -hmm. dirt bikes and mm -hmm. he's into a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think for him, mm -hmm. he'd probably be more aligned with one of the real deals who's actively competing. And right. he's probably probably. 48 49 years old so mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's a lot of celebrities yeah that, that actually train there's more than you think you know it's 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 funny when you hear them um but you put out you put out you you've, you've authored three books and the one that really caught my eye 
because of something I believe that's in it, I wanted to bring up was protection for and from humanity. And there was a earn, earn your A program. And I wonder if you'd go into that, if you'd explain what the earn your A program is. Yeah, that's a cool. basic, basically a program where we were teaching people to look at specific aspects in their day-to-day -day environment. Mm -hmm. um, hold on a second, I grab this. I, I, mm -hmm. I am not promoting it, but I happen to have it here. Uh, promote, this, promote. This is, this is the book. Yes. Protection Forum from Humanity. Mm -hmm. And if, if you look in it, there's a ton of information on systems and strategies mm -hmm. and processes. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. essentially not to say it's dumbed down, but basically a one sheet or where people can go and they can look at this one sheet of information, the five A's where mm -hmm. we're teaching them different components, right? Like, like their awareness of an environment, right. Mm -hmm. And how they mm -hmm. process that environment and see things and, you know, how to take information and how to process it, what to, what to look at, what to put weight on or, or give value to, mm -hmm. and then how to adjust their behavior, you know, how to look at things and then say, okay, well, if this exists, then I'm going to move over here. I'm going to do this particular thing. And here are these indicators that that will allow me to make better decisions. So really the whole book um, is using systems and processes of the military law enforcement protective services, but it's kind of um, done in a really simple way where you can apply it to your day in and day out life. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that book I think is probably in the world of security or protection, probably the best out there if you're trying mm -hmm. to learn. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that, you know, that's for the masses. If you're really into protection mm -hmm. or security or any of mm -hmm. these kind of areas, you'll mm -hmm. love it. If you're not, and you just want to see something like our current book, uh, protective perspective, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not your book. If you want to see pictures, protective perspective, if you want systems and processes, mm -hmm. you know, protection form from humanity, you know, we mm -hmm. go into a lot of different, um, protocols in that one. And, and even understanding things, for example, um, you know, the attacker equation, right? The attacker mm -hmm. equation, meaning that the attacker picks the time, they mm -hmm. pick the place and they pick mm -hmm. the method of attack. And all mm -hmm. you get is 25%, which is the reaction. And when you look at things, action is generally faster, 99.9% .9 of the time than reaction. So mm -hmm. you're behind the power curve. And so, you know, we talk about how you manipulate the variables of time, right place and method of attack mm. if you take mm. away certain things they can no longer be successful in the attack how do you see it early and how do you adjust for that and then do these specific things um, we get into systems like um, baseline anomaly right which comes out mm. of the marine corps combat hunter program right and we talk about how to go into an environment and establish what's normal what's normal is important because then you can establish what an anomaly is right because mm. when something doesn't belong in an environment that's what can hurt you. And so you look at it and say, that's an anomaly. It doesn't fit into the environment based on the, the baseline of normalcy. Um, now I look at it a little bit further and say, is it a critical anomaly or is it something that maybe is benign? And if it's benign, mm. then I can kind of discount it and move on to the next thing. If it's critical, then I have another thing. And we, we break it down into the three C's, which basically, um, you know, or you're going to continue as planned, which means you're just going to keep doing it. You realize that mm. threat's there, that it could hurt you. Um, you're going to, you're going to change directions or movements. Like I'm going to go over one block and up a block, or you're going to cancel. Like you're going to go back to where you came from and, and not do that thing that day. But, um, a lot of systems, a lot of processes, the five A's is just a, a one sheeter for, you know, private citizens who want to kind of get some type of mental edge, but it's short. And, and because mm. it's, it's so short, it's a bit remiss. 
Um, but that book is uh, is good for, again, security people, people mm -hmm. who are interested in security. Mm -hmm. If not, let me take this opportunity to promote this one. Absolutely. Uh, this one is called Protective Perspective. Okay. Peek behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. And this one is all about uh, a tour, a music tour uh, through the eyes of uh, what people call a bodyguard. Mm -hmm. um, and the things they see and the things they do behind the scenes, the little tiny things. So you'll get a mm -hmm. picture and a concept. Mm -hmm. And in that, let me see if I just grab one for general purposes. Um, you will see kind of something that no one else will, will talk about or show you. So, mm -hmm. you know, this one has a photo, for example, of a trucker's wheels, right? So wow. you have all these tractor trailers mm -hmm. and, you're looking at his wheels. Well, why would I want to look at this? Well, because those big, long six to eight inch spikes on his wheels mm -hmm. give me a clue as to his personality. So right. that section is on personality profiles and how mm -hmm. we assess mm -hmm. different profiles and, mm -hmm. you know, what that does for us in terms of decision-making, in terms of dealing with other people. If we understand how they look at things, how they think about things, mm -hmm. that tells us how we can present our case to them to make adjustments, to make changes, to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. Um and so that book is really kind of like a coffee table book. Again, it's protective mm. perspective. You can find mm. it on our, our site, which is tourprotection.com. Mm. You can get it on, uh, you know, Apple, you can get it on Amazon and all those places. But for that book, I would say buy it off our site because you want a physical copy of that book. It's mm. like, a, a, you know, thick pages with, with nice, uh, high quality photos and, uh, really kind of gives you a look behind the scenes. If you're interested in music, if you're interested in travel, if you're interested in photography, the book will be interesting for you. Unlike the other book that we were just discussing, mm. uh, Protection Forum for Humanity, which will bore you to death if you're not interested in the subject matter. Right. Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm actually, I'm going to pick up a copy of Protection Perspective. I'm going to read it. That looks really good. Yeah, it's it's That's less fun. reading. It's more more yeah. visual uh, mm -hmm. stimulus right there. So mm -hmm. you know, uh, people tend to to gravitate more toward you know, the mm -hmm. visual side. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's for the masses. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we, we have another book here, just since we're talking about books, mm -hmm. uh, you know, called all, all access. That's, mm -hmm. that one's really for uh, guys or girls that are going into the tour security field just to understand mm -hmm. how it works on tour. Mm -hmm. And then we got a fourth book um, called underpinning um, foundational concepts and in, enforce instruction. Mm -hmm. And that's really for non-law enforcement, um, and it teaches guys how to see through a different lens. For example, if I'm mm. teaching jujitsu as a defensive tactic, um, I need to understand how the Fourth Amendment works in terms of, uh, you know, seizure of a person, which is what happens when you put hands on someone. I need to understand things like Graham Connor and how that works and, and you know, uh, reasonable force selection and things like that. Um, you know, Tennessee versus Garner, Scott versus Henrich, a bunch of case law that you have to understand. And then it gets into how agencies work with policies and procedures and how they control certain principles and like force continuum and things like mm -hmm. that. And, and then, you know, in training what you need to do and talking kind of about things like if, if I do an arm bar in jujitsu and I'm doing it on a mat and I'm doing it with a, a training partner, most of the time he's not on uh, some type of extreme drug and he's not fighting me for his life. Right. So, that movement is probably not the best option because it's a pain-based movement, whereas some other movements are going to disable them uh, or put them to sleep. And those are better options. And then the mm -hmm. laws involving that. And then, 
a few bits and pieces kind of about how to structure training so that it's it falls within certain guidelines, either agency guidelines or like a state statute with respect to use of force training. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's a whole nother level. So four different books, four different topics with a common kind of theme of, of you know, security, protection, use of force, travel, stuff like that. And what was the fourth one called again? Oh, the fourth one. Underpinning. Underpinning. Underpinning hasn't been hasn't been released. It's done, mm-hmm. but I'm waiting mm-hmm. because we have to finish kind of our our rounds with protective perspective. Right. Um, and and it's it's I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it. I I, I love having something that appeals to everybody, like protective perspective. But mm-hmm. underpinning is kind of more of my wheelhouse and and the stuff that we do uh, okay. when it, it comes to governmental training. Yeah, do me a favor. When you're going to release it, can you let me know? Because I really do want to get a copy of that book and read it. Absolutely. That's really absolutely, absolutely interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we go into all the different um, laws and principles mm-hmm. that apply mm-hmm. to instruction and teaching and, um, you know, um, different methodologies that no one tells you or shows you, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're in a police academy or you're in a jujitsu school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that I'm a black belt in jujitsu and I've done MMA and I've competed all over the place, mm-hmm. that doesn't make me qualified to teach. It, it just mm-hmm. doesn't. So right. we're trying to create um, a platform that will assist them in understanding what's important when they're teaching law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Todd, I really want to thank you for coming on my podcast. I had a great conversation with you. And uh, where can people reach you if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, the, our website, the company website, mm-hmm. is tourprotection.com. Mm-hmm. Tourprotection.com. Mm-hmm. And then on Instagram, we we don't have a lot of time on Instagram, probably mm-hmm. a year and a half or something. But uh, Instagram, we're at tour training. Okay. Uh, at tour training. So tourprotection.com and at tour training on Instagram. Those are the two best options. Awesome. Thank you. Again, thank you for coming on. I had a great time talking to you. Thank you, man. Great talking to you. I appreciate it. I'd love to have you back on again in the future. Let's do it. Your book comes on. Okay, great. Okay. Well, have a great day and I'll talk to you soon. Take care.